Open your eyes, Shelby. Open your eyes. Truvy is teasing the holy hell out of Shelby's hair. Really, where are Shelby's friends? Pink is my signature color. Here, hit this. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's delighted to welcome the incredible Nina Badson to join me in breaking down 1989's celebration of female friendship, Steel Magnolias. But before we get into the Southern drawl of it all, I'd like to tell you a little about Nina Badson. Nina is a writer, leader of creative writing groups, and host of the podcast, Dear Nina, Conversations About Friendship. Nina is a devoted wife, loving mom of four, passionate recommender of books and TV, and a huge fan of tearjerker movies. Welcome to the podcast, Nina. Thanks so much for having me. And you already did Beaches, so that would have been the perfect, perfect. I love that episode you did with your good friend. But I love all the sad 80s movies, 90s movies, current sad movies, but they're not, they don't make them like they used to. Oh, they certainly do not. I agree. Give us something that we can like, you know, snot cry and bring our girlfriends and just have a moment with. The last good, really sad movie, I think was The Notebook. Like that was maybe... And my my teenage son watched it on an airplane recently. He was like very last minute and he texted me and he's like, what should I watch on the plane? I'm like, what do they have? You know, on the Delta TV. He named a few. I said, try the notebook. He said that he cried so hard that the woman next to him on the plane, like a stranger was like, are you okay? Like she was like concerned about it. I want to cry like that. sensitive soul. I don't even think of him that that way, but I guess he is. Well, I mean, it's a good one. I, I think that one hit all of us. So you and I, Nina, met through social media. Yeah. We have a lot of mutual friends. I actually shocked that we didn't know each other until the podcasting no. version of social media. The whole blogosphere seems to have regathered in the podcastosphere, which yes. is not a word. I really just made it up. I like but it. It works. Because I also had a blog probably at the same time you did. I don't think we crossed paths then. I know. I'm just so glad that we're connected now. And I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Oh, thank you. And vice versa. Thank you. I mean, there's just so much in the way of female friendships to break down and talk about. And I'm sure you see interesting dynamics in female friendships throughout all the media that we consume. Oh, tons. You must just be like, oh, running list. It's the lens I I see every book and movie and I don't even notice really the romance. I don't really notice the fashion or something. I don't, Uh it all goes beyond me. I'm so focused on the relationships between the women characters. I mean, men too, it depends on the movie. And it's hard for me to not focus on it. If you could believe I've been writing about friendship for almost eight years and still there's more to say. I don't know. I don't know. It's possible. I always thought, oh, I'll do this for a little bit. I'm a freelance writer and friendship ended up being just sort of a beat. Right. I was like, I'll do it for a bit until I run out of stuff. I just still haven't run out of stuff. It's amazing. I love that. There's just so much to explore. It really is. And Steel Magnolias, especially. Oh, my goodness. So what is your history with this film? So like we were saying about the tearjerker movies, I definitely gravitated towards those. And I not just alone, with girlfriends in high school and junior high, we would go to Blockbuster 
and get something sad. We like something sad. I love Terms of Endearment. Yes. Which I was younger than. I think you and I are really exactly the same age. I'm 45. I'm 45. Oh, I know. Nice. I, I can tell from your other episodes. Yes. Like, all the same references. Oh, I okay. have to tell you really fast, Lori. Yeah. Your listeners will appreciate this. I was with someone in her 20s recently. She was listening to someone else talk with me about 90210. And we were like, are you a Brandon or a Dylan person? (laughs) And then we asked her and she said, straight face, you guys, I don't even know who you're talking about. Stop. You're (laughs) like, get off my lawn. I knew you'd appreciate that. Uh Okay. But anyway, on a Saturday night, we would get sad movies. And as I was saying, Terms of Endearment, uh, Steel Magnolias, Beaches, I know there's more. And for some reason, those are the, but those are like the top three. Yeah. It's like the trifecta. Sure. And I've seen them all a million times, but not as an adult. So it was really fun to rewatch the movie. And I think that I loved movies like this. And I also love books about groups of friends. And when I was maybe early college, that's when The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood was like a big one, which later became a movie also Southern. Also, you have the two generations. I just really attracted to that. I always loved these ideas. And my mom has close friends. So I wasn't watching these movies because I was like, oh, I don't know what that's like. It actually rang true to me. It rang true that there would be women that would support each other. And I just loved seeing it repeated on TV, I guess, and in books. And there were things about this movie that as watching it as adult rang true and some that didn't, which we'll talk about as we, okay. as we go. But that's really my history. What about you? You know, I don't know the first time I saw it, but I do know that I owned it on VHS. I used to collect tons of VHS movies all the time. That was like what I spent all my money on. And this was in my rotation. And I I could still quote it much like Beaches. It's been a while since I've seen it. And I turned it on and I'm like, oh my God, I still know all the dialogue. Yes. I found that so interesting. Beaches I've seen much more recently throughout time. This one, for some reason, I just didn't rewatch yeah. ever as an adult. And still, I watched it so often as a teen that, you know, I want to know why yes. <laughs> Sally feel like I, I knew exactly when she was going to say it. Right. I was like bracing myself. Yes. I was ready. And I do have to tell you that I rewatched it with my four children and my husband. Okay. So that was interesting. My kids are 17, 15, 13, and 10. And oh, you're busy. Yes. But, and we don't sit and watch a lot together because it is hard to find something that appeals to everyone. But this movie is PG. It's so rare anymore, right? It's really rare. I mean, there's some swearing, but there's like no sex. I mean, it's just right? an easy one to have the 10 year old uh-huh. around, although it's really sad. So I was kind of like, why am I doing this to my kids? <laughs> but you may not have remembered, I'm curious if you remembered how slow this, this movie is much slower than I remember. There's a lot of dialogue and nothing happens for a really long time. Yes. And in fact, I think that's because it was originally a play. And this is what we see so often in plays that are, you know, rewritten for film. This was written in 1987, the play Steel Magnolias, and the playwright, his name is Robert Harling, and this was about the loss of his own sister who passed away in 1985 from complications brought on by diabetes following the birth of her son. And just like in the film, a family member had donated a kidney to her, but it didn't save her life. And originally, Harling had planned on writing a short story. But like over the course of 10 days, it evolved into a play. And he said, the events that it inspired were so powerful 
that after I found the story arena, it just poured into my typewriter in a 24 seven tsunami of Southerness, which I loved. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah. He said like, I didn't even know what I had written. I just threw it all out there. All I knew was that I felt it portrayed my sister's life and spirit accurately. And that was enough for me. Wow. So, you know, she died in 85, his sister, the play opens in 87 and then it like immediately was a smash hit in New York and like all these famous Hollywood people were coming to see it. And Ray Stark bought the rights and promised me that he'd film it in his hometown of Natchitoches, uh, Louisiana. And he's like, and that cinched the deal. And I mean, the film came out in 89. So, so fast. Nothing's it's that crazy. Fast it was like boom, 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 and instant success. I wonder if, and you probably know this in your research, if the, I mean, such a cast, this cast is oh, unbelievable. Yes. Did they clamor to get in it or was it like the director had okay, to, I to have tell some me? Juicy casting tidbits. I'm going to save that for when we get into the film and okay. meet the characters but because they kind of come stuff. on yes. one by one. Oh, there's really good stuff. So this film was released on November 15th, 1989. The budget was 15 million. Girl, it made 96.8 million. Wow. Wow. And I remember at the time, before I had even seen the film, the cast was on Oprah or Oprah went to go visit the cast on set. I don't really remember. I'm so jealous you like have this memory. I loved Oprah. You know, (laughs) Chicago, I'm a Chicago girl. We would come home after school. So I was a latchkey kid, right? I watched Oprah every day when I got home from school. And um, I just remember that so specifically. And I remember Dolly Parton talking about having these really long nails as Truvy and having to roll Julia Roberts' hair with these long nails. It's weird the things you remember, right? Yeah. And I remember Julia Roberts was like, an up and comer like oh yeah this is new this is fresh julia roberts but yes. with all the signature julia robertsness the laughing the smile i mean that is her all of it all yeah. of it's all there right and it's so cool to like see it in the beginning like do you remember justine bateman's satisfaction like yes, she was yes. in that and i think she had well mystic pizza where does that fall in i think she had just done mystic pizza okay that was a great movie so signature julia roberts yeah but when I think of Steve Magnolia as like as a movie that was a big part of my childhood, even though I know she's in it, it's still Sally Field and Dolly and Olympia Dukakis. They're yes. the ones who really, Shirley MacLaine, they're the ones that really stand out. They do. Because at some point, Shelby is no longer with us. Yes, that so is true. So it's just the rest of the women who carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get into it? Yes, let's get into it. All right. Oh, wait, wait. One last thing about my kids watching it. Uh-huh. You were saying it. It's because it's a play and that makes sense, but nothing happens much. You know, we get a lot right. of setting and a lot of flashes of character, but just a lot of dialogue. And at one point, my oldest son says, Mom, is anything going to happen? Oh. Like, homework. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, yeah, something's going to happen. But of course, because I'm like sick and twisted, I'm like, What's going to happen is Julia Roberts, Shelby's going to die. I don't tell them that. Right. But w- what am I thinking that I'm having my kids watch this? But in the end, they, they liked it. But it I took- was going to say, like, was the payoff worth it? Yes, but only as a whole. Like, they liked it at the very end. Okay. I think numerous times throughout, they're like, is this almost done? Mm. I mean, they really, Brian loved it. My husband loved it because he loved, he loves a movie that does, that's PG. He's like all about a PG movie. So this really spoke to him. 
Yeah. And I think too, like with the films that come out now, it's like, everything is just so action packed and Mm -hmm. like in all the media we consume, everything's coming at you so fast. And this is a slow reveal. It really is, you know, just like it is in the theater, a very slow reveal. So yes, let's do it. Okay. We open on a spring day in Louisiana. We see a young woman walking through a neighborhood And then we see a neighboring house. There's all this like crazy frenzy going on outside preparing for this upcoming. It's the reception. Yeah. The wedding happens at the church, but okay. So we cut to Shelby, Julia Roberts. She's a bride to be, and she's getting ready for her big day and their house is in pure chaos. There's people in and out. The mom, Malin played by Sally Field. She's just so frazzled. Those stupid brothers and the dad shooting at the The gun. Well, it's a lot. In terms of casting for Shelby, though, originally the studio wanted Winona Ryder. Okay. Interesting. She was a huge, you know, and all she was in all the things. She was, but she was very young. And so they were like, okay, yeah, she's too young to play Shelby. So they also considered Meg Ryan, but she ended up backing out of this to star in When Harry Met Sally. So oh, that good was a call. good call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Laura Dern was also considered. But the casting director was pretty set on Julia Roberts. And when she came in to read, Harling, the one that wrote the play, he said that he instantly knew that she was Shelby. He said, she walked into the room and that smile lit everything up. And I said, that's my sister. Oh, oh I just got the chills. Yeah, I know. Okay, so this film was directed by Herbert Ross, and he had directed uh, Funny Lady, Footloose, and Boys on the Side, which is another great female ensemble cast. Yes, it is. And another tearjerker. So he, Herbert Ross, he's a very, very difficult director. He's, (laughs) all the actors and actresses are just sort of like, oof. He, He makes great films, but he's not easy. And he was particularly hard on Julia Roberts. Oh, And Sally Field said he went after Julia with a vengeance. This was pretty much her first big film. And Shirley MacLaine said that Julia Roberts would come to her house every night and say, I think I'm terrible. What am I doing? And she was in tears. Oh, wow. What a memory. Like that for these other actresses to have and then to To actually call him out. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So we get to meet the crotchety neighbor Weezer played by Shirley MacLaine. God, what a great character. She's probably my favorite character and so needed. She is the comic relief. Anytime it gets so tense, it's like, oh, thank God they go to Weezer. You know, she shows up at Malin's house. She She's in a beef with the husband. Like everything, she just hates everyone. She's a two-time widow. She's grouchy, complaining. She's truly terrible. And this is an interesting bit of trivia. Betty Davis saw the play Steel Magnolias in New York. And when she heard about the film, she wanted to be cast as Weezer. And she said, okay, I've got it figured out. I can be Weezer, Catherine Hepburn, Clary, and Elizabeth Taylor as Truvy. Oh, wow. What a different film, right? But, and kind of a different generation. I, th- yes. I think that was one up, right? From I think what so. they cast. And it's like, I kind of love that idea. I love seeing older women in film. Yeah. It's my favorite, but it is indeed. A different film. I mean, Sally Fields is so young in this movie. I mean, she, I she, she looked like a teenager practically. She does. I mean, she's aged very gracefully. Oh, yes. Yeah. And Betty Davis told Harling, she met with him and she's like, if you give the role of Weezer to someone else, you will hear from Betty Davis. Wow. Well, he did. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll bet. Oh, well, I mean, it, it worked out. It 
worked out. Okay. So the woman we saw walking on the street, her name is Anel, played by Daryl Hannah. And she's arrived at Truvy's beauty salon that she runs out of her home. And Truvy is played by Dolly Parton. Brilliantly. Looking oh, fabulous. Real amazing. I love the character of Truvy. You know, she's just so Southern. She's so bubbly. She's so welcoming. But she's also so gossipy. And we'll yes, talk about they all that. are. Well, I well, know, I, they all are. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. So we find out that Anel recently graduated beauty school. She's kind of mysterious about her past, and she needs a job. And Truvy is so desperate for help. She's like, yes, you are hired. And she was the top of her class. That's Top what, of her so, class. Yep. She did her own highlights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Clary, played by Olympia Dukakis, brilliant. Love her. She arrives to Truvies to get her hair done. And she is the direct foil, the total antithesis of Weezer, right? Yes. She's she's also a widow, but she's very cheerful. She's got a lot of money. Now, you know what's interesting? I didn't realize that Weezer also had a lot of money. Her character at the beginning looks like she's like living on the streets practically. Yes. She's so later funky. she dresses up more and mm-hmm. it's clear that she has she says later that she has a lot of money. That she has money. Yes. Who knew? But yes, it's very clear that Clarie is the wealthy Southern and she seems to have the thickest Southern accent. Maybe hers is real, is it? I don't know. I have either. Okay, I'll have oh, to look I that up. I should have looked that up. You know, of all the lines in this film, I have to say. Clarice are my favorite. Yes, yes. And she says them with just such the draw and the raised eyebrow. You know, it's raised just so and the lips are pursed just so and it's just perfect. She's just like so cheeky. Mm -hmm. Like even when she's slinging an insult, like you're not mad about it. Yeah, no, I love that. Oh, you're just adorable. I just love you. And And she's the most gossipy. She's got the most (sighs) to share and she's the most eager to hear. Yes. Truvy and Clarice together Oh boy. Yeah. They are trouble. Yeah. So Shelby and Malin arrive at Truvy salon to get their hair done before Shelby's wedding. And Anel, (laughs) she's nervous to do Malin's hair, right? Like Anel's like, oh my gosh, it's your daughter's wedding day. Like, oh, I'm scared. And Shelby tells her, you can't mess up her hair. You just tease it and make it look like a brown football. Yes. Yes. And that becomes important later, but yes a great line. You know, something I thought about, about the beauty salon, that atmosphere really doesn't exist, at least where I live, that really where everyone's talking, there's one reason why. I wonder if you would know the same reason. Why do you think? Phones. Yes. Because it's one thing to like flip through a magazine, right? Right. Like you can kind of flip through a magazine, look at the pictures and people or Us Weekly or whatever. But when we're engrossed in our phones the way we are, and I'm 100% guilty of it, we barely even speak to the person doing our hair, let alone the person next to us. I mean, it's right. almost unimaginable to imagine people talking, even if a bunch of people are there getting ready for a wedding. I still think everyone would be on Instagram and not be talking to the fellow bridesmaids. And I can't even imagine, like, if you're an introvert and you live in the South and particularly you go to, you know, Truvy Salon, that's where you get your hair done. And it's like such a gathering place of yeah. just chatter how overwhelming that would be. Because right, maybe you want a phone, like in 1989. Maybe, yes. You wouldn't mind I mean, a I need phone. a good book. Like, please don't bother me. I'm kind of in yes, the middle of something. This is my time away. It's just something I noticed. Like all that chatter. So much Very happens true. in the beauty shop. I mean, really the entire first quarter of the movie seems to be in this beauty shop. And I've heard that in the play, almost everything happens in the salon. 
Right. And think about a stage production, right? Like how many sets can you really mm-hmm. have come and go? So that would make sense. Yeah. So the ladies ask Shelby all about Jackson and she says that she really loves him and loves the idea of growing old with somebody. And her dream is to sit on the back porch covered in grandchildren. And then here we get this very tight shot of Malin's face. Yes. Yes. And because we know what's going to happen. It was interesting. That's why I was so interested to have my kids there. And Brian, I don't think he'd ever seen it. Mm -hmm. So now I'm watching as like, how does this information, I couldn't remember like, oh, how do we find out that there's a health issue? This is it. It's like right that close flash of the face. We learned that Shelby's a nurse. She works with around babies and she loves her job. And instantly Malin's like, I think you should stop working after you get married. I guess she's her husband to be is a lawyer. He's successful and comes from a, a yes. good family. Good family. They've got Which wealth. Means, you know, that's code for money. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, you shouldn't be on your feet all day. You should be kinder to your circulatory system. And we're like, hmm. Right. Why is that? She's a young, healthy woman, presumably, right? So Truvy is teasing the holy hell out of Shelby's hair. You know, when she was first doing all the curls, I'm like, oh, that's really pretty. And then she just starts ratting it out. And I'm like, yeah, what is she yes. doing? She's ruining it. It's so 80s. So 80s. Her colors are blush and bashful. That's why I wrote that down too. And she keeps saying it, blush and bashful. What mom, I love pink. Pink is my signature color. Yes. And we see almost instantly, like the dynamic between Malin and Shelby, they're just They're arguing over everything, even the details of the wedding that are happening that day down to the, you know, I've got nine bridesmaids, your colors are pink and pink. It's almost a teen. And we understand why later because, but it, it doesn't feel like a grown up mother and daughter relationship. It really feels like Shelby's a teenager and Malin is in her early (laughs) forties or mid forties, if I'm thinking of myself. And it's that kind of tension. It's not like an adult speaking to an adult. I agree. And here Shelby, you know, she has a college degree. She works as a nurse. She's got a whole career. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to tell by their dynamic here. Yeah, not Mm -hmm. at all. Truvy turns Shelby around to look at her giant hair with all the baby's breath in it. And Shelby doesn't look good. She's looking sweaty. Yeah. She begins pulling at her cape and the camera focuses in on her. And then we see her go into like a diabetic seizure. Is it a seizure? I don't know. I I don't know if you call it an attack or you know yes. what it is, but she's clearly having a major issue, and and Malin just snaps too. She knows exactly what to do, and she's the only one who really. Well, that, actually, no, she's not the only one. Somebody, is it this scene where somebody says, you know, there's juice in the fridge, or I think Truvy says that, and Malin is as calm as can be. You know, she's trying to get her to mm-hmm. to eat some hard candy and drink some juice. Shelby is super agitated. She's trying to swat her mother away. The women don't really know what to do. But through it all, Malin is so calm and focused until she gets Shelby to drink that juice. I felt that this scene uses, in a, in a smart way, like from the writing perspective, uses Anel, like we're, the, we're Anel. She's the audience and Anel are learning for the first time what's wrong with Shelby. Everyone else in that room knows. I mean, they yes. know. they're friends. They know that uh, Shelby has these really acute moments with her diabetes and they know why Malin has concerns and they kind of make way for Malin to do her thing. But they do give over information you know, seemingly to Anel, but really to us, the audience. Yes, that's a great point. 
So once she drinks the juice, she's okay. And Malin shares with the ladies that the doctors told Shelby at her last appointment that children weren't possible. And Shelby's like, don't talk about me like I'm not here. Yeah. Oh, that was a hard, I wrote down hard scene. And and then it also was very touching though when when she's apologizes to Milan. She's like, I'm sorry, mama, I you know, know, for you know, being mad at her. Because her mom saved her yet her again. Mom I saved see. her. And she's so sorry to Truvy for messing up her hair. And she just yeah. feels so bad. And this is her wedding day. Yep. And Malin is trying so hard to be like, it's okay. Like, we got through it. It's fine. It's gonna be a great day. It's okay. Like this isn't going to cast a negative shadow on this beautiful day. Now, something a little bit uh, from a friendship perspective, putting my friendship advice Please hat do. on. Please do. Where are Shelby's friends? And now I, I get that a lot of this is focused on Malin and her friends, but Shelby does not have a single friend in this entire movie that I can remember. Even down to the bridesmaids. Yeah. They're her cousins. Really, where are Shelby's friends? Yeah, it's true. And it almost seems like Shelby and Malin are in a very, very codependent best friendship with each other. Well, they truly are codependent, right? Like Malin needs Shelby not to die because that's everyone's worst nightmare. Yes. And so she takes care of her because she loves her, but she also, for her own mental health, sanity, happiness, wants her daughter to survive. And then Shelby's probably been very medically dependent on her mother you know, having emergency supplies, knowing what limits she has and providing a nice life for her to feel as able to participate in life as possible. But like the Lynn makes that possible by always being there with the hard candy and with the juice. And I assume that's what it's like. Growing up, Shelby was probably incredibly sheltered. Yeah. Like I could see her not being able to sleep at people's houses, but like couldn't people sleep at her house? Right. Like I just wondering where these friends are. He had nine bridesmaids, none of whom are her own sisters. And then the cousins. Yeah. And it is something I, I noted throughout. I mean, it was glaring to me, like not just yeah. in this scene, starting from this scene, because it is her wedding day and there's not even like one best friend there. Yeah. Like not even a maid, maid of honor. Nothing. Yeah. That's very something interesting. That's something to note. And so Shelby says that Jackson said, it's okay that you can't have kids. We can adopt 10 kids. Jackson seems very supportive. He seems like a catch. He's also very handsome. He's Dylan McDermott. Yes. We, I don't think we mentioned that. He's so uh, cute. He climbs through her window earlier in the before this scene. And he's like, promise me that that you'll say yes today. And we're like, why is this a right. question mark? Like we're shooting at trees to get rid of birds. Like everything's happening in this house right now. And then that makes sense, you know, in this scene. He he's he's handsome and he really crazy about her. He is. This is when Weezer arrives. God, she is like a true agent of chaos and negativity, right? Like just toxic energy. She's just and unapologetic, unapologetic about it. She comes in and she immediately clocks Anel. She's like, who are you? Where'd you come from? What's your story? And she just breaks her down instantly. And Anel reveals that her husband left her and stole all of her stuff. And she thinks he's in trouble with the law. Oh, poor Anel. She just needs a job. But they seem to like her better when the truth comes out. Oh, like it, absolutely. They like that. They want to know someone's story. And it doesn't matter if it's a, a colorful story. They're actually probably the more colorful, the better. And, the better. <laughs> and then they accept her right away. It's not like they turn away from her when they find out she's got all these issues. It's right. it's like, okay, now we can work with this. They could have. I mean, they're a tight-knit group who've known mm -hmm. each other forever, right? I assume these women have seen Shelby grow up since she was a little girl. Yep. And yeah. then Shelby very... Uh, generously, and probably because she has no other friends to come, 
invites Anel not only to come to the wedding, but to come to her house and borrow a dress. Can you imagine on your wedding day? I know. I would maybe invite someone. That part is not the implausible, but you're not coming over and borrowing a dress. Like, there's no time for that. But she does have all the time for that because she's not distracted with her girlfriends, Nina. Right. <laughs> but she's so nice. You know, like, she seems like such so a lovely, nice. lovely girl, this Shelby. I know. And not really like out of control with the gossip. And Melinda no. isn't either. No, they're they not wired they're, that way. They're, yeah, they're just like a touch classier or more yes. controlled, I guess. <laughs> okay, we're now at the wedding. Oh, Shelby's bridesmaids dresses are so bad. Well, that's where you kind of go, you know what, Melinda was right. It is Pepto Bismol. Oh, God, it's so bad. And um, the dresses are very Southern Belle. And the whole church was exactly as Shelby promised, as if, you know, just sprayed in pink. Shelby's wedding dress was so similar to my wedding dress. Interesting. Was her dress pink or did I imagine it? Like a little bit light pink? Blush. Yes. I think her dress was a little pink. It was pretty. It had these little rosettes all around like the neckline. And my wedding dress totally had like blush rosettes. I thought it was pretty. Wow. Her bridesmaid dresses were like very 80s and over the top. But I think the wedding dress actually wasn't. It was a little more. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, I got married in 98. So I got married like a long time after this movie. And um, okay, I always say I was a young bride and we're the same age. I got married in 2000. You were really young. I was. Wow. 22. Wow, wow, wow. Crazy. So, okay, it's now the wedding reception. And Malin dances with her new son-in-law, Jackson. And mm-hmm. here it's this joyous occasion, right? And she just asks him while they're dancing, like, please really think before making decisions about your family. Yeah, Malin is just all business all the time. Isn't she? Like, <laughs> yes. the weight of this is so big on her and her spirit. But it's like a mother knows. And it's like, she knows. knows. She knows that this is... Now, because you and I are watching this for the millionth time, it's like we've gone from being Anel. Anel is the viewer who's never seen Sam Magnolia's. We're Malin. We know this is going to go bad. Now, this wedding scene goes a little too long. The wedding dancing just... And not even characters we care about. Not even bridesmaids who we didn't care about. Anyway, it's just random people at this wedding dancing Full dances. It goes on so long. The armadillo cake. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. The, Where is that actress from? You know what? I didn't look her up. I think she might be from Three's Company. Okay. I can't remember exactly, but she feels familiar and maybe from that. Her face looked familiar. Like, I feel like she's a character actress. Yeah. Okay. Here's a fun fact. Since we touched on Dylan McDermott, when Julia Roberts started filming Steel Magnolias, she was dating Liam Neeson. But she broke up with him and started dating McDermott. Oh, wow. Filming. And they were even engaged before breaking up in 1990. Did not know that. Yeah. She's engaged to a couple of people. Lots of people. <laughs> I didn't know Dylan was one of them. Yep. He was one of them. Okay. So at the wedding, Anel meets bartender Sammy, who is not attractive, by the way. And she orders a cherry Coke. And he is very sweet to her. Yes. Okay, Truvy and Clary gossip the entire wedding reception. <laughs> yeah. Talk about all the guests and how, you know, boring all that footage was. Did you notice like there was just so much? It seemed like Jessica McClintock was all over that <laughs> yes. wedding reception. Yes. And like Laura Ashley, sort of. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm. 
It was very not Midwest and and not Jewish. I'm Jewish. Okay. Most of the weddings I ever went to were Jewish, which were different. And like that look, everything about this wedding, I was like, this is not a Jewish wedding. (laughs) It's just not. I mean, it looked fun enough, but at the wedding reception, this is when we get to see more about the kind of contentious dynamic between Clary and Weezer. But like in a funny wish. Yeah. Cause I actually wrote down, this is when we actually see that they're friends because in the beauty salon, I didn't know if they were just two people that both go to this salon and are both connected to Malin. But at the wedding, I was like, Oh no, they're actually friends. Yeah. Like they jab at each other. They poke fun, they insult, and yet they both get a kick out of it. Yeah. Like it's entertainment. If you're in a friendship dynamic like that, it only works if both people are knowingly and willingly in that dynamic because I've been in dynamics where I'm not a big teaser. I don't like to be teased a lot and I don't do a lot of teasing. So it doesn't work well if you're getting teased a lot, but you're not giving it out. one-sided. Yeah. Yeah. You know that expression like, oh, you can give it out, but you can't take it, that kind of thing. And I'm I'm always like, but I don't give it out. (laughs) So like, yeah, I can't really take it, but I don't give it out. So I shouldn't have to take it. Yeah. And I wonder, because there are a few moments here where it goes a little too far, right? Mm-hmm. And feelings get it would hurt, for me. Then, yeah. yeah. I don't like it when people use information they have about you because they're your close friend and then use it as a butt of a joke. Like that feels oh. cruel to me because you only have that information because of the nature of the relationship. And so it doesn't feel fair to use that information in the opposite way. Absolutely. Unless like, I guess it's totally equal and you're both doing it to each other. And these two seem to. They do. They so do. We'll give them a pass, but like they, neither of them could really pull that on Malin. I Malin wouldn't oh, put no. up with that. No, she wouldn't. And I think Truvy is a little too sweet. Also, like she, she doesn't. I don't think want to be teased that way. Yeah, like a little light gossip is one thing, but I mean outright <laughs> mean comments is different. And it is. It's such good comic relief too. Yes. 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 Whenever things get a little tense, someone throws a jab, and you're like, okay, whew, we're safe. Like it's okay. Exactly. We can stop crying now. So now it's about eight months later and we're at the town's big holiday festival. Well, that's another thing done really well. By the yeah. way, time passes with holidays. I didn't realize that to the end when it's like Easter, but it's a nice use. It's like a good writing technique. You only see that time has passed. Yeah. It really helps drive the story along because we're like, okay, eight months later, it's been a while since Shelby has seen everyone. It's around the holiday season. And Shelby looks really good. Yes, she does. She actually looks very un-80s. Her hair is like not big. She's entering the 90s. That's what's (laughs) happening with Shelby. Her look is sort of like Ralph Lauren. Like, yes. Like she looks like she has money. She looks really well cared for. She looks healthy and strong. Yeah. So you're like, okay, she's doing well, right? Yep. She meets up with Truvy and Anel, and Anel looks totally different. Oh, yeah. She's got style. She's got confidence. She's outgoing. Like, who is this? What happened? Her hair is big. She's got her hair hair. is huge. (laughs) And blonde. Yes. So we find out that a lot has happened with Anel. Her husband was put in jail and then she went a little wild. She was Jezebelling for a while. And then (laughs) Truvy took her to church and now she's just a new woman. So she's doing all right. And at Malin's house, Shelby's there with her mom. And this is when she tells her mom that she's pregnant. And Malin responds exactly as one would expect. She's devastated. She's really concerned. Shelby's super hurt. And she's like, mom, I just want you to be excited for me. And Jackson's so excited about this baby. 
but Malin doesn't care. She's upset that Shelby doesn't listen to her doctor's advice. And as a viewer, it's it's hard to know whose side to be on because even if you don't know how it's going to end. And then Shelby says, I'd rather have 30 minutes of wonderful than a lifetime of nothing special. And I think that kind of makes you as the viewer go, oh, you know, more on Shelby's side. And she yeah. explains that she can't adapt. Actually, I appreciate that the writers answered the question the audience would naturally have. Yes. The moment my mind went, wait, why couldn't they adapt? Like, they don't need to have a biological child. Like, I understand she wants one, but the health issue is it's not worth it. And then she says, nobody will give a baby to somebody with my health record. And I was like, oh, well, there you go. There you That's go. a fair point. It's tough because on the one hand, you wonder, is Malin just being overprotective? Is she just one of those moms that just needs to have control? And she worries a lot because I'm that mom. Is oh, yeah. Shelby more right? Is Malin more right? Or are they both equally right? And there is no right or wrong answer. There's just whatever answer there is and, and the consequences thereafter. Like, I don't know. I think they really did a great job in showing both sides of this very, very clearly. Yeah. And that makes it more interesting. It's not interesting to watch situations that are black and white. It's mm-hmm. much interesting to watch nuance and, mm-hmm. and gray. Maybe that's why I love the friendship topic so much. Cause unless like you outright, you know, stole your best friend's husband, there's a lot of gray. Yes. I like that about the mother daughter piece here too. What did you think though, when Shelby told her mom, like, I think a baby would help a lot. Oh, yeah. What did that mean? Is there an issue in the marriage? And that does not get explored, really. It doesn't. I'm wondering if a scene was cut because she said, I really think it would help a lot. And Malin says, I see. Like, without saying it, she knows what she's saying. Yeah. The only way I could take that is there's something sort of blah Mm -hmm. about the marriage. Something's not going well. And yeah like every ill-advised thing, like, oh, a baby's going to fix it. A Band-Aid baby. Mm -hmm. Although we don't get any glimpse of that later. So that's sort of a thread that I agree appears and then disappears as quickly and never comes back. Mm -hmm. Now we're at Valen's house for the party. We get a couple of really great Clary lines here at the party. She says, and this has nothing to do with the story. I just like the lines. She says, the only thing that separates us from the animals is our ability to accessorize. (laughs) Love that line. That's great. And then she also says, if you can't say anything nice about anybody, come sit by me. (laughs) I was going to say, it needs to be on a t-shirt. I'm sure it is. Classic. And if it isn't now, I'll bet it was after this movie came out. (laughs) So far. Do we wear graphic tees in 1989? I'm not sure. Unless I said Gap. People loved a Gap t-shirt. That was all the rage. Absolutely. So what do you think about this friendship between Truvy and Clary? It is so deeply rooted in gossip. Yeah, it is. And they agree on most things. So it's always easy to gossip with someone who agrees with you on everything. Okay. That's that's what happens, I think. I mean, if someone doesn't ever push you back or challenge you, you're just going to keep feeding off each other. I think sometimes it's less satisfying and maybe healthier in the end if somebody plays devil's advocate, even though not, I wouldn't, I don't like someone to play devil's advocate when I'm venting about something or I have an right. issue. No, like, just that's take annoying. it all in and listen and be on my side, please. Hear me out and then agree with me. Right. But if you're just kind of being judgy, which we all have those moments, right. it's not the worst. If somebody brings another point of view, you're probably not going back to that same well. Trudy and Clary <laughs> just dipping into the well back and forth. They all just day like long. the echo chamber of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I think they enjoy that. <laughs> They're so funny. 
They're cute. Okay. This is when Shelby's dad makes the announcement at the party, the big announcement. This is interesting to watch play out, I think, when he announces that his daughter has just told him that she's going to be having a baby. And the difference in reaction, right? I mean, think of Malin. I wonder what that conversation was like. Did Shelby only tell her dad just now and her dad is announcing it, whereas Malin has known? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. There was, I assume, a day that passed between. Yeah, because I think all that baking she was doing was in preparation for this party. I imagine that what would be true to their characters is that Malin told him and he was like, oh, that's great. And she's like, no, it's not great. And here's why it's not great. Right. And he's like, it's going to be okay. You know, we don't know how it will turn out. Maybe it'll be okay. And so like Shelby and her dad seem more similar. Yeah. Than Shelby and her mom. But it was interesting to see once that announcement is made, how the different friends react. And this is where I, I start to like Weezer the best. It really only seems like Weezer gets it. The other ones are like, oh, this is so great. Kind of like the dad. Oh, this is great. great they all news. rush to Malin, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, yay. Weezer's the one sitting there talking with her about how serious this is. She's kind of like, oh, I thought she wasn't supposed to have kids. And Malin's like, she's not. And when Malin says, it's not that she can't have kids. It's not that she can't get pregnant. It's that it, she shouldn't. She which shouldn't. is very different. Very different. And the ladies are sort of like, well, it's done. Let's just try to focus on the joy of it. Which is, I mean, good advice. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Time skips ahead. Again, we have the marker of 4th of July. It's now Jack's first birthday. And we're all thinking, you know, as audience members, like, score. Jack is one year old. Yes, she made it. Shelby looks good. We're in the clear. She only looks good for a couple minutes. Right. (laughs) Malin is going to go to Truvy's to get her hair done. And Shelby's like, Mom, I want to come with. And I want to cut my hair short. And I feel the need to make things as simple as as possible. And we get another tight shot on Malin. She knows what that means. And now I'm thinking through my kid's eyes, who doesn't, who don't know what's going to happen. Oh, they probably just think she's just really tired, you know, per Malin's concern that she's, it's going to be exhausting. You're a mom of four. I'm a mom of two. That first year is tiring. She's it's horrible. a working woman. She's a nurse. She's on her feet all day. She's caring for a little one. I know they have money, but nowhere in this do we see help. Yeah, that's, and I'm sure it's there, but I agree. We never Mm -hmm. see it. So, I mean, how much of this is Shelby and her health condition and how much of this is just new motherhood? Yeah. So the haircut I'm picturing is going to happen when she says she's (laughs) going to get her haircut is something really cute, like yours, like beautiful, (gasps) shiny, great color. so bad. Oh my gosh. She looks like when she plays Tinkerbell. I know. Oh my God. Did you think that? I'm so glad you said it, Nina. That's exactly right. It looks like Julia Robertson Hook. Yes, that's what it is. It's like she became her Hook character. And I mean, I blame Truvy. Like you can have short hair without having that kind of short hair. What was that? It was terrible. That wasn't even reminiscent of Princess Diana. Like, you know, which was the style icon, the inspiration Mm -hmm. behind short hair. Yes. No, no. It was so bad. It was so bad. She did. She looked like a fairy, like a tall fairy. (laughs) Like a woodland creature. Yeah. Truvy's cutting her hair. She turns her around for the big reveal in the mirror. And Shelby just looks like shocked. Yeah, well, Shelby's all of us in this scene. (laughs) And Malin just says, you know what? I love it. And you know she doesn't love it. No. 
their relationship is something you touched on before really has changed at this point. And now they seem they are in cahoots. They're on the same team now, much different than on the wedding day. She is a true support to Shelby throughout this salon visit because Shelby's then like, I want to get my nails done. And Malin's like, yep, it's going to be a day of beauty. I'm going to join you. Weezer comes in when she's in those horrible overalls with her tomatoes that she grows because she's a Southern woman and she's supposed to, but she hates them. I don't eat healthy. I hope my body gives out on me as soon as possible. The shorter I live, the better, like just spouting off all the things. She hates Shelby's hair. Yeah. (laughs) What did you do to your hair? Yeah, exactly what she says. So when Trivi's giving Shelby a manicure, she pulls up her sleeves and sees all the bruising on her forearms. And they're from dialysis. Shelby's like, it's no big deal. I need a kidney transplant. And Malin's the one that's going to give her the kidney. And they check in for surgery tomorrow morning. This is the part of the movie I find the most implausible. We started out talking about this group of friends and how they're there for each other. And they all know about Shelby's diabetes and they know that she needs the juice and the hard candy and seems like something they've seen before. That's how comfortable they are with this family and how close of friends they are. I am supposed to believe that Malin is having her kidney removed the next day and nobody has like made a meal train. A casserole? Right. She hasn't told them. And now I don't blame the friends. I blame Malin. Nobody is so private that they wouldn't tell their best friends. I didn't remember that in this movie. I remembered always thinking of Steel Magnolias as the quintessential female friendship. And I still think that because of the way it ends. But this one scene really made me question everything. I was like, that is not realistic at all. That in this kind of group friendship, Malin wouldn't at least hold one of them with permission to tell the other ones. Like I could have seen her saying to Clary or any of them, let's say Truvy, we're having this surgery. I don't want her to explain it to everybody, but will you let the ladies know? And yes, I, I could use some help. I'm not saying that they're going to be at her bedside, but they can make some casseroles. Oh, absolutely. And not even just Shelby needs a kidney. It's Shelby's struggling. Shelby's in dialysis. I mean, there's all these steps before. And then, oh, Shelby needs a kidney. Oh, we need to find a match. Oh, I'm going in to see if I'm a match. Oh, I'm a match. No, none of that happened. We just skipped right on over that. Did that strike you in this scene too? When she said, I'm having the surgery tomorrow. I'm just curious if it's just me looking at everything through a friendship lens or is that so obvious? Well, okay. Yes, it is so obvious. No, I did not catch it till you said it about 30 seconds ago, which makes me question everything. I don't know why I didn't think of that. No, I'm overly looking at these things. I, I clearly, I can see that I just can't enjoy a thing. <laughs> I, just, I just found it really, impl- I mean, I stopped the movie for a sec. I said, guys, just so you know, if I'm having any kind of major surgery or any of you are having major surgery, I want a meal train. <laughs> it's like, I want a sign up genius. And I want food brought here for three months. Three months I want for Three months. I don't want to be on my feet. I don't want yeah. to be cooking anything. That might be because a man wrote it. Did did he write it alone, Harlan? He did. He okay, wrote it alone. I'm sorry. But if a woman had written that, even if that's how it happened, if he wouldn't tell it that. It's because he wasn't privy to it. He yeah, didn't know. Right. But a woman wouldn't tell it this way, especially a movie about friendship. It just doesn't make right. sense. Right. I feel like there was so much he got right about this film. Well, we loved it. We all loved oh, it. I mean, certainly. Yeah. So, okay. We suspend disbelief. They're all finding out about this all happening tomorrow. Big the night day before. tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too, because it's like 
all of this stuff takes time, right? Right. Is this to say that Shelby was having problems almost immediately after giving birth? Because Jack is only one. He's only one. And we can also assume that Malin has been taking care of Jack a lot. I mean, like she wants to, but she's probably been really busy with that. But I guess that would have been the case either way, you know, whether Shelby was having problems. Yes. Like they're close enough that they come to the hospital. I'm sorry, I can't let it go. They no, they are right. in the hospital waiting room. They come to the hospital. They sit there with her sons and her husband just to make sure that, like the transfer happens. But they never even knew the surgery was happening. Okay, fine. Okay, I'll, I'll buy it, but unhappily. Hmm. The night before the surgery, they're all together and they're playing cards and <laughs> they're all making a bunch of transplant jokes. And the dad does not like it. No, he's not. So this is the first time we see him taking something really seriously because normally he's the jokester and he's like, he does not find it funny now. Right. Yeah. That just, I liked that. That gave a little more depth to his character. And the day of the surgery, like you said, all the ladies come to the hospital to Weezer smoking right there in the, (laughs) right there in the, like a good eighties movie. As one does. And Surgery went okay. So we're thinking we're out of the woods, right? Right. The doctor comes out. He says, looks good. Looks real, real good. <laughs> I yep. wrote that down for some reason. that Because like there's the relief. There's relief in that hospital room. And Okay. So Anel is now super religious. Oh, yes. She's found Jesus and her boyfriend, Sammy, struggling with it. So is Truvy. Truvy is not having yes, it. Yes. It's, it's a lot. Then it's Halloween. Yes. The ladies surprise Anel with a bridal shower, sort of Halloween themed. She was so offended by the lingerie that she was gifted. Oh my that, God. From Weezer, it. which from I love. And so we see Shelby at work and she looks really exhausted. Yeah, She doesn't look good. And at home, she's got Jack all dressed up to go trick or treating. This scene is just beyond brutal. Uh-huh. Don't you remember it from a kid? Like, I didn't remember oh, I it do. as it was coming on. And then when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, that's not good. I do. She's on her porch with Jack and she goes to pick him up and she can't. She kind of falls to the ground. And, you know, Julia Roberts is like six foot whatever. She's yes. a tall woman. And so to see her like hit the ground is pretty serious when Jackson comes home and finds Jack crying, little one year old crying. And the stove is on, right? Is the fridge open? I don't know. It's just absolute chaos in there. I mean, that was so dangerous for baby Jack. I know. It's terrible. He's and he's screaming. He's not just crying. I mean, he's screaming. He's pointing. And Shelby is collapsed on the porch. And I was thinking to myself, had Shelby not been feeling well up to this point? Like at work, we see her. She doesn't look good. She looks a little sweaty and, and bad. But like, did this come on suddenly for her? Why would they leave her in charge of Jack? Was she ignoring these signs until all fair questions? I mean, it's so serious that she's in the hospital and she's unconscious. I don't know if they put her in a medically induced coma. Yeah, that's a good question. But the next thing we know, we're in the hospital and Malin is stomping down that hallway and basically like, I knew it. I mean, she isn't saying anything, but the stomps in the face. It says it. Say to me, this is exactly what I worried about. Mm -hmm. And she's there with Shelby night and day. She's holding her hands. She's humming to her. She's exercising Shelby's legs. She's showing her pictures. Open your eyes, Shelby. Open your eyes. He wants you to open your eyes. Look at him. Yeah. (gasps) And and then her husband comes in and was like, you need to take a break, basically. And she says, well, what, what if she wakes up for two minutes and I'm not here? Yeah. 
That's another long scene. I mean, at least this one is more with more emotion and purpose, but kind of like the wedding. We kind of could get the point with a couple less moments of her in the room. I think it was to demonstrate the length of time she was in this state Mm -hmm. because in the next scene, we then see Jackson signing papers. I'm assuming this is the papers to take her off life support. Yes. And I'm sobbing as a viewer at this point, different than how when I was a kid. So were we in junior high? Yes, we were like probably. Yeah. Um, when this came out and I would watch it a bunch and it was sad then, I mean, I would cry and I think I liked, like I said, I liked tearjerkers. I'd like to cry, (laughs) but now as a mom, now as an adult watching this, oh my goodness, (sighs) crying, crying. It is so heavy. It's so much heavier now than it was to me when I was a kid and used to watch it all the time. Really is. Feel good fun. Let's watch Seal Magnolias. When the doctors and nurses come in to take her off of life support. The director ended up hiring the very doctors and nurses that cared for Susan Harling, the inspiration behind the story. Oh my gosh. And um, the nurse who turned off Shelby's life support was the one who did it for Susan in real life. Wow. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you uncovered that. That really adds a lot. I have no idea. Yes. Neither did I. And Malin just sits there and kind of silently cries and holds her hand and the men can't take it. They leave. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's too much. She walks out from Shelby's, I almost said hotel room, hospital room, and she's immediately gets down to business, right? Yeah. Jackson, get the pink suit. Yeah. Tells her husband, contact this funeral home. You know, where's Jack Jr.? I'm going to go get him. And she's the one that goes and gets him. And that feels, that feels realistic. It does. And and when, when baby Jack is walking to his grandma smiling and so happy. (sighs) Yeah. That's a moment. And then you kind of go, this baby wouldn't exist if Shelby hadn't. But Shelby would exist. Maybe. Right. So that's where that's where the gray exists. And and she says that line, which I think is a huge theme of the movie, is that I would rather have 30 minutes of wonderful than a lifetime of nothing special. And I think that's symbolized in the existence of Jack. It's like, on the one hand, I want to be like, oh, now we have baby Jack in the world. But we could have had Shelby in the world. But maybe we couldn't have. Maybe Shelby's health was so compromised it wouldn't have mattered, but there's no way to know that. Yes, we won't know. I'm sure that's what Malin thinks, right? Oh, so hard. Yes. Okay, so it's the day of Shelby's funeral. Even Truvy's husband's going to come to the funeral. And she's surprised. He doesn't go to anything. Right, but he's in his suit and even he's coming. He makes time for her. I know that meant a lot to Truvy. The ladies gather around Malin and she's standing at Shelby's casket. And Anel wants to try and give Malin some peace. I wrote down, I'm nervous when Anel starts speaking, but it actually goes better than. Well, I think Malin was incredibly gracious in that moment. Very gracious. Yeah. Far more gracious than she needed to be in that moment. But I was afraid too. I was like, this is going to go real south. This is not the time. Yeah. Cause people don't usually like to hear oh. from an Anel type when they're not in that kind of religious space. You know, it's. I mean, what would have been the appropriate thing in that moment? Just to stand around her and stand in that pain and just be there and be silent? Probably. I think there's nothing you can say. I think just being there is is a lot. In Jewish tradition, after a funeral, you sit Shiva and and people do it for a different number of days, depending Mm -hmm. on like how observant you are. But the concept is that the people who are mourning, you are not supposed to go up to them and say much. You let the mourner start the conversation. Now, I'm not saying a lot of people follow this tradition. I mean, more religious people do, but that's what 
you're supposed to do is you you let whoever's mourning, and it could be like whole family is, is our mourners. Yes. And they're sitting, that's just called sitting Shiva. You know, they're sitting in the living room or wherever. And you're not really supposed to come up and be like, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. Are you doing okay? I'm so sorry. You're not even supposed to say that. You're just kind of supposed to be there and then let the person be like, I was thinking about this one time with my dad. And like, now I'm not saying it realistically works that way, but that is the concept. And it makes sense to me. I love that concept. I think that's actually so vitally important because Mm -hmm. having a, what do they call that? A receiving line and everyone's giving you condolences and and you're supposed to say thank you. and, And everyone's asking what they can do for you. And it's just a lot to have to put out in a time when you are not in a position to be receiving so much. Making conversation, it's a lot. Yeah, and so this is when Malin tells the ladies how when they turned off the machines, Drum couldn't take it. Yep. Jackson left. I found it amusing. Men are supposed to be made out of steel or something. I realize as a woman how lucky I am. I was there when that wonderful creature drifted into my life, and I was there when she drifted out. It was the most precious moment of my life. Oh, chills. I'm so glad you wrote that down and I could relive it again. <sighs> this is the stuff there. There are huge moments in this movie like that, that make up for some of those. Yes. Agreed. Suspending of belief mm-hmm. moments. It's like, cause these are the ones that stand out and they're so true. They feel so true. And so they stayed with us. And as painful as it is to be there when someone passes, it is such an incredible privilege. Yeah. And even in this moment where she is just devastated, for her to be able to recognize how precious of a gift that was is huge. Yeah. She starts crying. She's like, oh, my makeup, who has a mirror? She right. looks in the mirror and's like, oh my God, Shelby was right. It is a brown football helmet. Yes. It's horrible. And she just starts crying. There's laughter and then there's anger. And this is the, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm yeah. so mad. I don't know what to do. It's not supposed to happen this way. I can't take this. She's so angry. I just want to hit somebody. Yep. And then we get a minute of comic relief. Thank goodness. Thank God. <laughs> Clary just shoves Weezer's here, hit this. That that pushes Weezer too far, though. She's mad. She's mad because she just wants to be in this moment and yep. support Malin. But now she's the big butt of the joke. Oh, I'd be mad. I would be mad if I were Weezer. She's horrified. They all start laughing at Weezer's expense. She storms away. She flips him the bird. It's almost made funnier by the fact that Weezer's so upset. Right, exactly. And it's it's as a viewer, it's like, oh, thank goodness we had this moment. And you can feel that they feel that. I'm sure Truvy feels it. And Cleary's like, this is like, why I did it, so that we could have this moment. <laughs> but she's mad for a while. And so we see Weezer sitting by herself, you know, on a bench. She's just so hurt. And Clary goes over to her to tell her that she loves her. Yeah, that was a sweet friendship moment. They're teasing each other a little. She apologizes. Weezer shoves her off the bench. (laughs) And then we learn Onel is going to name the baby Shelby, whether it's a boy or a girl. She's brave. She tells Malin right there and then. I don't feel like that was appropriate because she's still really early in her pregnancy. And so I feel like, why don't you let Malin grieve the loss of her daughter? Like for a couple days. Yeah. Like, hello, this is her daughter's funeral. Give it a hot second. You've got eight more months, seven more months to be pregnant. You could have this conversation later. It's sort of like getting engaged at someone's wedding. It's just like something you don't do. It's inappropriate because what if that was really offensive to Malin, right? She's so tender 
why would you chance that? But Anel, she's not reading the proper social cues. She doesn't understand how this works. But it goes okay. It goes better than expected. Because Malin is filled with grace. Yeah. So it's Easter Sunday. Again, we're back to Easter, just like we were when the film started. Yeah. We're at the big Easter egg hunt in the town. And Anel's very, very pregnant. We see Malin swinging baby Jack on the swing. She says life goes on. I mean, it felt a little tied up in a neat bow to me, but okay. Well, according to my kids, it was time. Wrap it up. So Anel goes into labor. All the ladies gather around to get her in the truck. And then the closing scene is her being driven to the hospital. Yeah, and it is. That is the concept. The movie starts with the wedding and basically ends with the funeral and then this mm-hmm. and then this quick yeah. scene. So it's, it's almost like the opposite of a romantic comedy in that way. You're right. But I still don't think of this as it is a dark movie. And yet because of the way it ends with that Easter scene, it doesn't feel like a dark movie. In a way, it's a light movie, oddly, even though there's sad things that happen. But there's a lightness to it because of the relationships. and Yes. And I think too, like the fact that it's Easter is no coincidence, right? It's the life going on, rebirth, springtime. Absolutely. So it's ending on this note of hope. And there's that little funny scene at the end where Clarice is telling a story to Jack, like a fairy tale and says there's a witch named Weezer. And it also shows, I think the point of that, other than being a little funny, is how involved all these women are still with Shelby's son. They're all the village. And I was thinking about it because in a way, Shelby gave great gifts to literally every woman there. If we break it down, Shelby gave her mother, Jack. Yeah. Shelby gave Anel, Sam. Yeah. She met him at her wedding. Shelby gave Clary this radio station. If oh, you that's remember right. that, yes, she I'm had encouraged her to up. do that, right? She gave Weezer Owen. Yep. I'm trying to think what she gave Truvy because Truvy's husband really showed up in the end. And he opened a second shop for her. Exactly. So I think like through her death, she gave her this closer relationship. Yeah. Way to wrap it up, Lori. Like that's beautiful. We could write a dissertation on this. (laughs) I think we should. (laughs) So Julia Roberts was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Oh. Yeah. She did lose. But she did win the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. Did you know, though, you can visit the Steel Magnolia House. It is now oh. a B&B. It's in Natchitoches. You can visit it. You can stay there. And I'll put the link in the show notes. It's very cool. And there's also Steel Magnolia tours that you can take if you're ever there. And you can go around the town and check out all the spots if you're a big okay. old Steel Magnolia stan. Good to know. In 1990, CBS, so weird, CBS created a sitcom based on Steel Magnolias. That was ill-conceived, I'm guessing. It was supposed to take place like after Shelby's death. So it was like these characters in their lives moving forward. Was it the same actresses? No. So Cindy Williams, who played Shirley in Laverne and Shirley, was Malin. And Sally Kirkland was Truvy. The show was never picked up. Okay, phew. And then in 2012, Lifetime did a reboot of the film with an all-star Black cast. I didn't even know about this. Uh, Queen Latifah played Malin. Jill Scott was Truvy. Oh, that's quite a cast. Wow. Yeah. Alfre Woodard was Weezer. Felicia Rashad was Clary. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. 
I mean, reviews on it were mixed. So I don't know. It's a great cast, though. So yeah, it was a good. Cast. It all depends know. on the script. It really That's does. what I was going to say. Who knows what the writing was like? Yeah, I have to ask you, which Steel Magnolia makes the best friend in this film? I think Weezer in a in an interesting way. I wouldn't have yes. thought you'd have to watch the entire movie to get to that decision. It, it, you don't know it at first. But she shows up as herself. She doesn't change herself for anybody. That's true. So you really know what you're getting. You're not getting some glossed over version. Even if you don't always like it. Right. And she she kind of gets like that scene where she knows right away that Shelby being pregnant is actually not necessarily good news. Like she she knows it's negative and right. That's nice to have a friend like that who could cut right to it without you even having to explain everything. I would agree with you. It's Weezer, even though if Weezer was my friend, I'd be a little bit afraid of her. Yeah. Like we all have friends <laughs> like that that we're just like a little bit afraid of. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm Weezer. I think there are people who, <laughs> who are a little, a little afraid. afraid of me. Yeah. <laughs> Not because I mean, but. Well, they're going to get the truth. Right. Exactly. And, and, and my husband's can the be same scary. way. You don't come to me for a sugar coating. Right. I'm not like mean at all, but I, I'm not really a sugar coder. Yeah. Well, I mentioned at the top of the podcast that you are the host of a podcast. Yes. Dear Nina, conversations about friendship. But before you started the podcast, you had a friendship advice column. I did. Tell me about how you got into that. So I got into that in a way that I think you're going to relate to as someone who was also a blogger in the same period of time. And I didn't just write about my kids. I wrote about a lot of things. I actually had an advice column for a little while about Twitter. It was a twice a month column about how to use Twitter as a writer. This is like in the early days of Twitter. Um, So I I like advice. And I even, for a little while, would do guest spots on a website for baby name advice. Oh, fun. I'm like so over baby names now, but I was really into it for a while. Sure. I've had a lot of short stories published too and a lot of other just normal freelance articles just about whatever this and that. But I love that advice tone. It's not objective at all. Like when you're writing an advice column, whether it's about Twitter, baby names, friendship, anything, you're writing from a very opinionated point of view. You're not trying to be some like objective third party. You're basically saying, I, Nina, think this. You're writing in first person and second person. There's you. You're writing. Right. You should. You you might want to consider. And there's something kind of refreshing about that. But I also did write a lot about my kids. And I was in Listen to Your Mother. I know you've had Anne oh, yeah. on as a guest. Mm-hmm. I was in the Minneapolis show. And I did a funny one about uh, my oldest son's piano recital and went south fast. And it, it was, But it was a funny story. And it was kind of a story about kids having to figure out their own stuff and how I can't control everything. I really am a Lynn. And now that I think about it. <laughs> anyway, it went well. It was fine. And then I got that article published in Brainchild, which got me a column in Brainchild Magazine, a parenting column for a while. At some point, somebody saw me with my son and they said, oh, like I read your mom's you know, story about your piano son. And he, and he looked at me dead in the eyes and he was like, you wrote about that? And I'm like, not only did I write about it, I actually spoke it on stage and it's yeah. on YouTube somewhere. And that was a real moment. Yes. That was, this is like a long answer to why I ended up writing about friendship, but I stopped writing about my kids at that time. Yeah. And I was kind of looking for the next thing. And Stephanie Springer and Jessica Smock, Susie, were starting a website called The Her Stories Project and all about friendship. And they were looking for an advice columnist. I'd written some articles about friendship. And they're like, do you want to be our friendship advice columnist? But I was like, but I'm not a therapist. I'm not even a social worker. I mean, I'm really just someone who loves friendship and loves talking about it. But And they were like, well, no, we'll make that part of, like, we won't apologize for that. We'll just make that part of the thing. It's like, here's here's just a regular person. 
giving one opinion. It's not. And I said earlier, like, I don't think there's a lot of right and wrong on friendship stuff. And that's, yeah, that's how I got into it. And wow, I, I loved it. Did it for a long time. So have you ever been asked for friendship advice that you honestly did not know how to answer? Uh, well, this is why it's so fun about the podcast. But in the column, I would bring in my best friend sometimes, my best friend from childhood. And she's so smart. Her name's Taryn. And she's been a guest on my podcast too uh, several times. And I would quote my mom a lot, who I also think just knows all the things. Uh-huh. Is she, and she at least knows it from a different point of view. We tend to agree on a lot of things, but sometimes she'd be able to see right through something that I would have a harder time. Mm -hmm. And I would say like, well, my mom says, or my best friend says, and that's what I would do. I didn't call in experts. It's funny. I read a lot of articles about friendship and and there's tons. There's probably two a week that come out, New York Times, Washington Post. So there's always, it's the same article over and over and over again. And it quotes the same people. And they all have smart, good things to say. They've done all the research, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of it's common sense stuff. I don't, I'm not bringing in like experts. I'm just talking to regular people. And that's what I love about the podcast. Cause instead of having to come up with some paragraph, that's an answer. The guest and I can just kind of noodle it out. We can kind of discuss like, well, what would you do? What would you do? And there, we acknowledge there's no right answer per se. And I think that's what makes it so accessible, you know, because friendship issues are, they're layered and they're complicated mm-hmm. and there's so much nuance, like you said. And so if you get this really sort of like textbook, right and wrong sort of response to a question that you're having, how likely are you to really follow it? And it's the recognition that it's not so cut and dry. I think that's yeah. really the difference, right? Yes. I think I'm here a lot to just receive and agree with how hard it is sometimes like to make a new friend or to make how frustrating it is if you're always the one who reaches out first. And that can be, that can be frustrating. I don't necessarily have an answer to that. It's just to agree and to say, yeah, I could see how that would feel unbalanced. Like if you're always the one who texts first, but I can't say, oh, that means the person doesn't want to be your friend. Cause that's not always true. Cause then, especially in the podcast and I have a Facebook group called dear Nina, the group where I sometimes preview the questions that I'm going to do in the podcast, which is great. Cause I can get other points of view and I share them on the show. I did that one about the friend who always reaches out first. Somebody gave me a perspective that I would not have added otherwise, which was she knows she doesn't reach out first. She's like, I am a friend who never reaches out first, but it's not cause I don't love my friend. I'm just really bad at it. I'm just really bad at it. It's not even yes. personal. But if I had not heard that point of view, I might have assumed or given the advice, yeah, you know, you probably should stop trying at some point. But that really changed my mind. That really got me to see that you shouldn't chase someone. I don't think a friendship should be 100-0. Sure. Some friendships are 70-30, and they just are. And if the person always says yes, and they always do make the plan, and they show up, and they don't cancel, you really are friends. They just are not good at reaching out first. I'm someone who's had my friends my whole life, right? I often make the joke that like, I don't need any more friends because to me, to really be a friend to someone is a humongous investment, right? If you're doing friendship a certain way, which I am too, I am too. For me, the label of friendship is really like, I've got a core group here and it's real deep. And this is about the most that I can give to this many people outside of my family. And that's not to be completely closed off, but it's a truthful place. Yeah. It, that is, there is such a thing as spreading yourself too thin. And I just did an episode on friendship chemistry and, and kind of what you're touching on. And I, I mentioned too, there is just because you click with someone, it doesn't necessarily translate into a, a friendship. And it yeah. doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It might be timing, plates being too full. Like you're, you're not going to go on a girl's trip with every single person you click with. 
I mean, if only, right? Like, right. I mean, I'd love to. I need to get rid of yeah. this whole household of people. And you know what? That's what I really do love about your podcast, though, because you do explore the nuance of friendship and you talk a lot about like kind of the prickly parts that we we just kind of want to pretend aren't really there. I mean, you touched on like, what do you do with the friend that always wants to sell you something? Yeah. This could be someone you really, really love. Great mm-hmm. friend. And they they want to sell you things or they're constantly asking you for favors. Like where are the boundaries? And boundaries can really be an issue when you've been friends with someone for a really long time, especially if you were kids, you weren't setting boundaries. You don't even know what a boundary was when this person was your friend. Now you're adults and the asks are maybe bigger and you don't have it to give, or you're not comfortable giving it. There's a lot. It's an endless supply of questions. That's why I'm still doing this eight years later. And it's timeless, meaning I have people who have read the column and listen to the show or send me questions who are in their 70s, 80s, because it doesn't end, sadly. I mean, it's well, I guess, thank God we always have our girlfriends, but also some of the feelings that that human feeling of wanting to be included in something and not being included, also being on the other end of it, you're organizing something and and like you said we don't want to be spread too thin and so you can't include everyone and so you but you know what it's like to not be included it's it's i if you're someone oh. like me i always feel like this responsibility to Huge. be inclusive and i don't like to be seen as exclusive and yet do probably seem that way sometimes because i'm also extremely protective of my time and friendships and not spreading myself too thin right i mean the best parts of friendship really involve the intimacy yeah i mean that's what it is You know, I'm sure there's so much heartbreak when you feel like you're really close to someone and they don't show up for you in the way that you need, when maybe it really isn't personal. I bet you get a lot of questions about that. Yeah, I do. I think not taking things personally is sort of something we all need to do a better job. The letters I get almost always have that as the underlying unspoken. Somebody's assuming something. And it's usually, we all have so much stuff going on and we all know it about ourselves, but we forget to give that to the next person. Like the perfect example would even be like why someone's late. That's not even a friendship thing, but just a life thing. Like we always forgive ourselves for being late. We know there was traffic. We know that we had like some issue with our car and we forgive ourselves very quickly. But when the other person's late, we don't give any benefit of the doubt that they had all those same issues. Now, if someone's chronically like, that's rude, but I'm just using right. that as an example. We always know what's going on in our own minds. We don't know what's going on in anyone else's mind. And we all tend to assume the worst. I'm, I'm generalizing, but I'm generalizing based on the letters I get. Now, of course, that's a self-selecting group of people who are having an issue. But it is comes from assuming the worst of the next person. Oh, that's so interesting. So I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I've heard, not that these things can be compared, but just go with me. In female friendships, the end of a friendship really does hurt more than a death, than a divorce. Why is that? I think because someone chose you and they chose you for all your good stuff and your bad stuff and they learned about your bad stuff and they kept choosing you and then they unchose you. Like there's, that's why it hurts. I mean, it's like they, unless they learn something really new and awful, it's just your regular stuff. And for whatever reason, it's, it feels like you you stop being good enough. And usually there's way more to it. And a lot of times it it isn't necessarily even about you, but it feels like it is. How does it not? It's hard not to. Yeah. That feels deeply personal. It is. It's very, very painful. And it takes most people a long time to get over it. Yeah. 
friendship is a choice. You can end a friendship. I mean, you can, and people do. And so it's oh, it's just real that's hurtful. so tough. And two, I think it has a lot to do with how meaningful are your friendships to you? Because for some people, like for me, for example, like my friends are my chosen family. I take my friendships really seriously. Not everybody feels that way. I know. I know. People, I'm the same. And sometimes it's a rude awakening. But also oh. it means you can demote. <laughs> Sounds weird, but you can <laughs> promote, demote. You could you don't have to give a lot more than you're getting. It's this not is true. In your estimation and expert opinion, because you've been doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. what does a healthy female friendship look like? Because uh, sometimes it's not always so great. Sometimes we have frenemies that we confuse as friends. <laughs> That's true. That's really not a friend. I think a real healthy, a sign of a really healthy friendship is when people can show up for you, not just in bad times. So it's kind of a given that, to bring it back to the meal train again, that you're going to put your name on that. Yeah. You have a friend or even an acquaintance in the community who's going through a thing. It's it's just not that big of a deal to sign up for a night and you're bringing that night. A lot of people do that. I think it's a lot harder to show up for the good stuff in an interesting way, to pick up the phone and say you know, congratulations. And like, there's so much on social media and it's very easy to press like, but what about actually coming to the art show that your friend is having? People have a really hard time committing to stuff and showing up for stuff. I'm talking like physically showing up, not just emotionally, because emotionally also is nice. It's very easy to ask like how my parent is doing if if I had a parent that's not doing well or something like that. that's easier. Like, I think it's harder to like kind of dig deep into the stuff that's going well for each other. I know this is like a very subtle little nitpicky thing, but I actually don't think people do it as much. I teach these writing groups. I lead these writing groups. And I know this is something that a lot of people, a lot of creative people face. Like I have uh, students who have books coming out and, th- and it's like, this is like a real issue for them. Like, are people going to show up? Are people so sick of hearing from them? Are they going to literally show up to the readings? To the, to the book event. This is the plight of the creative. It's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Another good friend thing that's important and seems obvious at our age, but it isn't always, is not repeating information people told you. Oh my God, that's so huge. And, yes. and it seems like really basic like kid stuff. Maybe it's because of the nature of social media. I think people have gotten like looser with information and it's okay to say like, oh, I don't know. If somebody asks you something about your friend, like you can say like, oh, I'm not sure. I like, or we haven't talked about it lately. It's like, yeah, it's a white lie. That's okay. Well, it's better than sharing something that that person doesn't want you to share. Yeah. And it's like, not everyone's entitled to all the information. And so that's important. Oh, so to know that you're trustworthy, like I think trustworthiness gets thrown around like a given and no, it's, it's not. It's something that has to be practiced. And it's hard. I've been on both sides of that. Like it's hard when you have information on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Kind of back to the movie. Like it, it you may not feel like you're gossiping. It may feel like you're just having a conversation. But if it's not your information to share, you gotta be really careful. Right. Like Malin saying, like the doctor said at her last visit, like, and she's saying, Don't talk about me like I'm not here. Like, really, yeah. that was Shelby. She's an adult woman. That mm-hmm. was her information to share or not share. Yeah. You know, I have an episode dropping next week, which will already be aired by the time this airs um, about exactly this when you have older kids like friends really bond a lot when you have young kids about really innocent things like what car seat are you getting and what stroller did you get a double stroller what kind and as your kids get older and they have bigger issues and and now it's not just 
your information. It's That's now your, it's your kids and they are entitled to their own privacy too. I'm just glad I stopped writing about my kids oh a my long gosh, time I'm ago. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I stopped writing about mine too. And that was why. They're not my stories to tell. And that's true in conversation also. Yes. If people are telling you stuff and confiding in, in you, like I think everyone out there, like you should applaud yourself because it means that you are someone who come to that friendship with a lack of judgment and the other person can feel it. That's why they're confiding in you. Right. So Nina, where can people reach out to you if they have friendship questions, dilemmas, if they're struggling with something and they need some good advice? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Uh, you're such a good friend, right? Uh, thanks for asking me to talk about myself. Everything is linked through my website, Nina Badzen, B-A-D-Z-A-N.com. And I have an anonymous form on there, which is why it's great because you don't have to use your email address. To me, it's worth it to like delete the spam to allow people to truly ask me. You cannot trace it. I love that. That's how. I mean, now I do get actual emails where people don't mind. I know it's them. But, and People can leave me voicemails. All of that is through, that's not anonymous, the voicemails, because it's your voice. But all that is through my website. But on Instagram, I'm at dear.nina.b. And I, I'm big on Twitter. I'm like, as, as I mentioned, I'm a, Twitter, I'm a Twitter person still. Okay. Twitter is at Nina Badzen. And we will link to all of Nina's offerings in the show notes so you guys can check her out. And before I let you go, I have a round of lightning questions that I want to ask you. Some of these are Gen X. Some of these are not. This is just a rapid fire kind of thing. I'm scared. There are no wrong answers except for the wrong answers. I'll let you know when you, (laughs) when you get it wrong. Okay. Pearl jam or Nirvana. Oh my God. Neither. I love like Broadway stuff. Oh my God. Me too. I (laughs) love Broadway stuff too. I did not like any of the, the, that stuff. That's a pass on that. Okay. Best fast food fries. McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Favorite 90s fragrance? Benetton Colors or Colors by Benetton. Oh, good one. I don't think anyone has chosen that yet. Oh, my God. Day. What? That's the <gasps> that's the one. That's it. I kind of forgot about that. That was a good one. That was a good like one. Like really early 90s. Good answer. Gold star. Okay. Did you ever own a bucket hat? Um. <laughs> I'm laughing. I I really struggle with hats. No, I I like loved Blossom. I love you know. Mine, but, <laughs> I love that you brought up Blossom. <laughs> but I like cannot fit into a hat. I I struggle with a hat. Really? Like my head's too big or something. Yeah. I have yeah. a really big head, and I am a huge hat wearer. And yeah, having a big head is hard. <laughs> I wear baseball caps when I'm walking because I'm like very sun conscious. But like you, that's an adjustable back. That's yeah. different. <laughs> you need a snap back. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is a 90210 reference. Mm-hmm. Dylan or Brandon? Dylan. Well, no, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Shoot, Brandon. And I live here in Minnesota now for 20 years. So like definitely, I feel like I married Brandon. Married Brandon. Okay. In your younger days, would you have chosen Dylan? Nah, yeah, I probably would have said Before Dylan. you knew better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was your first car? I had a white Chevrolet Blazer. I loved it. And I called it Blazy. Oh. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say were you a latchkey kid? Sort of. It's, uh, my mom bought a needlepoint store when I was in junior high or high school. And so she was often busy after school. But I feel like I had so many after school activities. Mm. You know, so mm-hmm. I don't know if I was always home right away. And how charming is a needlepoint store? It really is. Yeah. So I she mean, had that it, is just precious. Yeah. She had it for a long time. And I feel like I was really independent. I'm the youngest of three and the way youngest. My sisters were like gone by the time I was in high school. I felt like I was home alone a lot, but, okay. I, but not as a little, not as a younger kid. Right. Right. 
Okay. What was your after school snack of choice? Okay. There was a period of time in the 90s where microwave food, it, like microwaves were around, but like specialty, like you could do like a microwave some more. Do you, do you have any memory mm, of this? Mm-hmm. There was this period of time where it's the grossest food you could think of, but they were like, you had to make it in the microwave. Like it was designed for that. It had like yes. the special foilized cardboard. Like yes, like some sort of packaging. And there was a period in the 90s where I was very calorie conscious and fat-free conscious. Uh, yes. And so that I was loved, like, hot in the like, oh, yes. in the 90s, all the old lean and like all yep. of those substitutes. I loved like snack wells and things like that. And then I worked at a candy store in high school for a oh, couple of years. Oh my God, a dream. Uh-huh. And where did I work next? Benetton. <laughs> Full circle. Back to Benetton. Yes. I love that. Okay. What was the film that traumatized you most as a kid? It probably was Terms of Endearment. I saw it really young. I saw it in the theater. Oh, you did? Isn't that from like 83? Yes. It's because my sisters are much older and we we were on some sort of family trip and I think it was raining and everyone wanted to see it. And so I think there was this discussion, like Nina's too young, but they like, I came anyway and the mother dies. I know. It It is. They're Shirley MacLaine again. Shirley MacLaine connection. Oh, and that hospital scene. Oh, my Lord. There's some similarities to Sailor Magnolia, you know? Yes. And I think I was always worried about my mom dying young, which she's still living, thank God. So that didn't happen. Well, if any movie is going to traumatize you, it's going to be that. I mean, that was a heavy film. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What was your first concert? Neil Diamond. Also, I was really young. Like, again, I just kind of got dragged good along one. to things. But isn't that good? That's I know. so good. I think I was five, so I barely remember it, but I love being able to say that was my first concert. Oh, it's a good one. Okay. This last question is for me. What is your favorite Elton John song? Um, I love your song. It's my Such wedding song. a good one. <gasps> Stop it. And I yeah. love the remake of it in Moulin Rouge. It's so good with you and McGregor. So good. Who knew yes. you and McGregor has such a good voice? I mean, he? oh, wow. I, I love that. Great song. Great choice. Nina, you're just such a great person to call on for this movie in particular. Thank you so much for choosing it. It was so fun. Thank you, really. Thank you for letting me, just letting me be here on your show. And so fun to be a guest. Well, and now like we're best friends. <laughs> totally. You guys be sure to check out Dear Nina conversations about friendship. Again, we'll link to all of Nina's stuff in the show notes. And thank you again. It was such a joy. Thank you. Gen Xers, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, we have a Patreon. If you're enjoying the show and you can't get enough content, check us out on patreon.com forward slash the Untitled Gen X podcast. We're on the webs. We're on the socials. And as always, we hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye, Lori. Thanks again.